In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There's something elemental about today's texts. Two elements, to be precise, fire and water. Fire and water play a big part in our lives, in our liturgical lives, but if you look around our space, you'll see a little bird bath at the end to stand for water, and a few candles standing around to stand for fire. And yet the force of these two elements, fire and water, is something so much greater, so much more profound. We're looking at baptism in water, baptism in fire, if you like, today. The subject is baptism. Our Lord's self-surrender in the waters of the Jordan, waters crossed a millennium ago as Israel, not so fresh from the Red Sea waters, took possession of the promised land. Much has been gained and lost in that thousand years. And now the people of the promise languish. The pillar of fire who led them through their dark night of the soul, out of captivity, now extinguished. In the gloom of the temple, the holy of holies, the tablets of the law are entombed. They are safe and sound, but God is not present. Water and fire. The life of water, the life of fire, and also death. Death and life, death and resurrection. Jesus, the sinless one, descends into a watery grave and emerges God the Father is pleased. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. John's baptism in water for repentance. But now will come Jesus' own baptism, a baptism of fire. It's a phrase we know. And what do we mean by the phrase baptism of fire? Well, you look it up, it's a little different. I quote, the phrase baptism by fire or baptism of fire known in English since 1822, is a translation of the French phrase baptême de feu and is a reference to a soldier's first experience under fire in battle. Now, this is not passing through the flames, but rather passing under a withering hail of gunfire. And yet there is a link. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire. The thing that separates the wheat from the chaff, like the baptism of fire, is the thing that tests one's vocation, one's calling. Listen to Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God plunges us into the water, renaming us, imputing to us his family names, adopting us into the communion of saints. God then fills us with his Holy Spirit, firing us into new life. 
The element in common is oxygen. That same oxygen that makes water suffocates. Bound with hydrogen, we cannot breathe it. Yet that same oxygen unbound in the atmosphere is the very breath of life. That fire of life burning then in a lamp or on a hearth, that same fire burning, precisely controlled, propels us today through space, through water, across land. Now to keep fire burning, it must be fueled, and it must be contained. It avails nothing, say, if the internal combustion engine itself catches fire, And it avails nothing if the engine seizes up because the flow of fuel has stopped. There's two elements now here to managing fire. The flame can dissipate by breaking free, spreading beyond its bounds, or it can suffocate by being bound too tightly. So it is a matter of balance, and this model serves us for life. The baptism of water is given to us. It's God's gift. It's done to us. It is done to Jesus. Jesus simply accepts it. It happens to him. The baptism of fire, which Jesus speaks, which the disciples will receive on the day of Pentecost, is given to them, but given to them for their use. It comes to dwell within. Water baptism surrounds us, The baptism of fire takes fire within. God has not just called us then by name in that water baptism, plunging us in and out of the water. He has named us to a calling, to a role we must play in life. And with that role go all the duties we are to perform and the expectations we are to meet. With water baptism comes first the expectation that we now have a role to perform. But if that is all we receive, the imputation of something that covers us outwardly, it can be rather suffocating. Now, if there is no less than this baptism of water, and there is no less, the good news is that there is also much more. Not just a role to be acted, but a life to be lived within. For that life, God in Christ through the Holy Spirit is the source, the inbreaking and indwelling source, the sustainer, the encourager, and the one who convicts when it is necessary, drives us and drags us on to go further than we ourselves could ever go in faith. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Like the burning bush, this fire consumes us, and yet it only burns away. The chaff, what is essential to us, always remains untouched by the flames. It's a kind of revealing fire, if you like. And yet, the notion of baptism of fire, as given to us, is apt after all. Because we live this faith out in a battleground, and it takes a steadiness of nerve and a constancy of purpose to walk in faith in a world without faith. It is a walk through the sea, too, to go back, or on the sea, as Jesus' disciples were invited to discover, but it is not a walk on the beach. 
You see me moving toward these ocean metaphors. I have to confess, I've had the chance these last few weeks to reflect upon what life on the water is all about. Now, I can't swim, (laughs) but I tell you, there is something about the water that speaks very powerfully. And if you're on the water, may I say, it doesn't do any harm if your footprint is a 1,000 feet long and a 100,000 tons of steel are bearing down on it. Such a footprint will be very steady when the waves and wind pick up. And when you are on the water... Out on the ocean there are days when you do not see the land, from sunup to sundown, nor any other vessel. There are days when you look for something to orient you, and there is nothing. How like the walk of faith. You are alone, a speck scanning an ever-retreating horizon of blue sea and sky, scanning and being scanned because you are never more conspicuous when you are the sole elevation on the horizon. You look down, and something draws you down into the water that slashes against the bow as the ship slices through, or the water that crashes against the bulwark, smashing like giant metal hammer. Water was never meant to be our habitat. That's the point. That's the point of Israel, who never built a city on the sea. They left that to the Philistines. That's the point of Revelation that tells us that in the new earth, there will be no more sea. And yet there is something about the sea and water that is so powerful, that draws us. It was never meant to be our habitat. And I reflect that just slipping over that railing and into that sea, is a guarantee that I won't be around for long on this side of the veil. And yet that is why it is so apt a living metaphor for the life of faith. The life of faith is a life of trust, living in an alien environment altogether. We are creatures that are built for heaven, as Ron Rollheiser says, we're built for the infinite. We're given a hunger for everything that we can see, a desire that takes in this entire universe. We want to make love to the whole world, and yet we're given an infinite world in which to live and to test our vocation. That hunger like a fire can engulf everything, yet the life of Christ teaches us how to contain that fire, how to channel it, how to commit it and direct it to those goals that the living God chooses for us. Staring into that foaming, splashing brew, confronted by the power of wave and wind, encountering a sense of utter helplessness, one thinks of Israel's ambivalence to the ocean, an ambivalence based on a very healthy fear. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is mighty in operation. The voice of the Lord is a glorious voice. The Lord sits enthroned above the water flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. How remarkable then that this king 
should deign to make us no less than the mighty waters, that this king should deign by his baptism make us co-proclaimers of his glory, co-partners in his glorification. Like the disciples, like Peter on the Sea of Galilee, we tend to walk in faith for a moment. Then the moment our attention is turned into ourselves or distracted by something, we plunge through the crashing surface, thrashing and gasping for breath. We suffocate. That's what water does. It suffocates all that oxygen and we can't breathe it. We turn inward in fear and we are done for. Down we go. What saves us? What hand reaches out and pulls us up as we go down for the count, drowning in our own desires? What helping hand grasps ours and focusing us on him pulls us up? The Lord. The hand of the Lord Jesus, of course. And what pure air breathes life back into our lungs? New life? That same God. That same God, the Holy Spirit, and the fire of life flares up within us once again. What keeps that fire burning and rekindles it when it is quenched? The glory of God. Knowing that you are I and I are named to this task, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Named for what task? For our vocation. For the task to which we are called for our life's work, for the service we shall give to God and others, to the world, giving glory to his name through our passionate pursuit of vocational holiness, the work that we do, whatever work, if done as for the Lord, a glorifying of him. There is no higher call. There's no special place reserved for priests and bishops and missionaries. All callings in the eye of God are the same. And this is the work to which you or I are called from day to day that is God's gift to us. It is the name that God has given us when he called us. It's the desire we have that's his desire planted within It's not just work. It's our work as parents, as children, brothers, sisters, as we navigate the stages of life, crossing again and again the perilous, untested, unknown waters, leaving harbor again and again, guided only by faith, seeking to grow in love for others as we grow to to trust, to depend on his love for us. And in all this, trying to keep our eyes on him. The self squelches, quenches the spirit. God inspires, draws us out of ourselves beyond what we ever thought we could do or be. And Jesus promises through all this the act of purification, purifying our desires. Remember what Augustine said, you made us for yourself, And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God has made us for him alone. God has made us to bring all our desires and focus them on him and make of them a crucible in which we receive him and live him out in this life. Remember Melanchthon, what the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies 
It's all about the movement of the heart. And Jesus promises a new heart, a heart that will want that one thing, the pearl of great price, for which everything else must be liquidated. That pearl is Jesus, the king and the kingdom. But it is also more. It is something specific to each of us. Some piece of kingdom glory that is reserved for each of us to see, to cherish, and bring into being. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Again, vocation calling to us not just on Sunday, not just in church, not just in our quiet time or our prayer time but we're doing everything to which we are called and being everything that we are called to be our whole lives. The church is not just a place where we come for someone to tell you everything you need to know and everything you need to do. It's not just a matter of systematics and ethics. It's a matter of the soul, of learning to become all that we're called to be, of learning to allow God to call us into being. And what we do and what we know is to serve our becoming, that unique person that God has called each of us to be, vocation, calling. That siren song which sounds out, sung within the wind and waves, which call us back into the waters, through the baptismal waters, dying that death of renunciation again and again. And this is the key to baptism, that death is a renunciation of everything in this life that is other than God, everything we have sought as a temporary means of giving us a leg up through the world, everything that the world promises us which is not God. That death of renunciation is our chance once again to die to everything which might have made a claim on our desires and on our lives That is not that one thing that we choose in our hearts that God allows us to will to the exclusion of all else. People come to me all the time and tell me what this church should do. That's fine. What I should do, I wish. They tell me what is most urgent and most needful. Sometimes I'm not surprised. There are many things lacking here of which I am acutely aware Sometimes these requests take me by surprise, and I do see everything new. But one thing I have learned is this. The one who brings me the concern is the one whom God is calling to do it. It's the one who comes to me with the problem, who is the solution. The one who sees the lack, who is the one that God has chosen to go and do the work to fill that lack. That should make my life much simpler from now on. (laughs) But there's a truth here. Why is it that so often the thing that God has placed on our heart is the thing we let go of in order to listen to something our head is telling us? Why do we privilege our doctrine, which is provisional, and our ethics, which are also a work in progress, And not listen to the Holy Spirit burning in our heart, that purifying flame of life. I can tell you why. Because it takes faith to do what the Holy Spirit asks. 
And none of us, when it really matters, believe that we can do it, and we can't. But if we give it a chance, if we really want it done, and if God keeps on our case and gives us a desire that won't go away, that holy longing will find its way to reach to that same God in prayer and take that first step and that second first step and that third first step. And our life and those around us will be transformed and we will know the God of our glory, the God who glorifies himself through us in a most wonderful way. This longing, this burning within is God's greatest gift to us. May nothing quench it. Cherish it. Hang on to it. Keep it in your sight. Go where it leads. Go where he leads. Trust him. And fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Amen.